to my team. Jason, thank you for leading us in the worship this morning. Thank you for preparing our hearts. Uh, I needed that this morning. Take a look at the screen. Oh, oh, I'll say it again. Oh, those little baby boys are one week old today. Aren't they cute? They're my nephews. You guys should give me a round of applause. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe you shouldn't give me a round of applause. Maybe you should give my sister a round of applause. She, there, yeah. Well, you should clap for me again. <laughs> Happy birthday to them. 47 for your twin boys, one week old for these twin boys. I, I'm proud of my sister and, and my brother-in-law. This makes babies six and seven. Shh, they might be listening. <laughs> these babies were born last Sunday. And wouldn't you know it, up until Tuesday, they didn't have a name. Either of them. Either of them. So Sunday through Tuesday, they were called Baby A and Baby B. I kind of like had a ring to it, doesn't it? Yes, Madonna. Okay. Fair enough. Anybody else have any twin babies that they want to celebrate? <laughs> we're just, we're just going to get this out of the way. <laughs> All the way until Tuesday. No name. It was interesting because I was wrapping the message up this morning and I was thinking, are they going to have names? I, I don't know. They actually do. Uh, Micah is one of them. He's the one on the right. And Kenan is the one on the left. Wonderful names. Okay, I can't wait, I can't knock waiting on naming because names are important, right? Yeah, I mean, names tend to stick with you for quite a while. I mean, not only is it the way that people grab your attention, it's the way that someone identifies you. And in our faith tradition, there's also a greater depth to names. I mean, so often people have names that they live into, right? It's more than just a way to identify someone. It's a way to identify who a person is, like holistically. We see that throughout Scripture. A couple of examples that you'll, you'll remember. Eve. Eve's name means a giver of life. When she started, there was two. Now there's seven billion. She lived into her name. Somebody say amen. 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 All right, Adam, her husband. Adam means from the dust or of the earth. God made this mud pie, shaped it into a little human, blew into it, and boom, there's Adam. From the dust. A couple guys later, Isaac means laughter. He was named laughter because when his mom was told she was going to have a baby, she laughed because she was older. Laughter, it fit. A guy by the name of Amos, a prophet, means burden. 
If you ever read his prophet, his, his prophecy, you'll realize that his life was a burden. He lived into that name. So you've got to be careful. You've got to be purposeful and intentional when giving names. As so much, a name is so much more than what you write on your checks. Okay? A name encompasses all of you. So, Pete Nestor, if you're listening to this, thank you for waiting to name those two little babies, to name my nephews. Now, in Scripture, there is a lot of characters in the story, right? Yes, there is. And most of them are given names when they're born, and they have those same names when they die. Okay, keep the names all the way through. But there are a few select ones that God chooses to rename. Few ones that God chooses to rename himself. You'll recognize some of these. Abram. Okay? Originally, Abram's name meant exalted father. God changed it to Abraham, which means father of many. Abraham's wife, Sarai, names princess. God renamed, or named, it means princess, and God changed her name to Sarah, which still means princess. But it could also mean mother of nations. You jump to the New Testament, there's a guy named Simon. His name means God has heard. It's a great name. Well, Jesus renames him Peter, which means rock. And of course, it was because the rock, the church, was built upon him. In the story that we've been looking at for the last several weeks, the life and, uh, and faith story of Jacob, we get to see God change his name too. When he was born, his parents named him Jacob. But by the time he breathed his last breath, his name was Israel. Why? Why does God change names? Why would God change Jacob's names? I mean, if someone is living into their name, why mess with something that's working? Well, how about this? When God changes a name, he does so to show a new reality. He does so to show what he sees and what he knows to be true. You catch that? When God changes the name, he does so to show a new reality, to show what he sees and what he knows to be true. We're going to unpack that as we tell the story this morning. But before we do, let's, uh, let's ask God's blessing on our time in Scripture. Lord, we have, we have already been ushered into your presence. You have already met with us here. We recognize that. And now, Lord, as we open up your story, your story to us, I ask that you would continue to, to, to speak to us to write on our hearts what you want us to hear, what you want us to understand, what you want us to see, and what you want us to know this morning. Would you give us ears to hear your soft, gentle voice? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to start in verse 22. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the life story of Jacob, and we've called our sermon series The Story of Jacob and the Story of Us. We've done this intentionally because all along we've been saying that Jacob's story fits with our story. The pieces of his life make up the puzzle of ours. Now, I wonder if we'll see the same thing this morning. So let's follow along in the story. Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. The text says, During the night, Jacob got up, and he took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent sent over all of his possessions. Now this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip, and he wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. 
But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Well, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then the man blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen the face of God, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left that place, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened the night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. What a story. God changes a name. Now, why would God do that? Is there a new reality that Jacob needs to see? This is one of my favorite texts in the Bible. It's a great story. Okay, a story that actually has many points of debate. Scholars will argue over which side of the river this encounter took place on. They'll argue over who was the man that Jacob wrestled with. You know, was it a demon, a river demon, an angel, the Lord himself in human form? That's what I think. They'll argue over, did Jacob really win? And they'll argue over, what does the name Israel really mean? I'm not going to cover all that this morning. In fact, the main thing I want us to understand is why God would change Israel's name, Jacob's name, to Israel. Because you see, Jacob had been living into his name, right? The name that he was given from birth. When he was born, he was born second, and he came out grasping his twin brother's heel. Okay? So Jacob sounds like heel, but it also sounds like supplanter or a deceiver. And Jacob had been living into this name too. Now listen, so often we, we hear those words and we think of them negatively. But what if, we, what if we view this from Jacob as kind of a survivor? Because in reality, Jacob had been living into his name really, really well. He'd been pretty good at deceiving, right? L- look at this. Through his trickery, Jacob had been coming out ahead. He'd been winning at life through his deception, Look at with his brother. He came out ahead when he traded his brother the birthright and stole his blessing. You look, Jacob had come out ahead with his dad, Isaac, also. I mean, he got his dad's blessing, which should have gone to somebody else. And then from that moment on, he kept getting more and more of his dad's blessings. He came out ahead with his uncle Laban, also with the trickery and the supplanting. He arrived at Uncle Laban's house with nothing, absolutely nothing. He was on the run. He left with four wives a whole bunch of kids, uh, flocks beyond counting, servants and slaves. I mean, when Jacob left Laban's place, Jacob left ahead. He had won. So he had been really, really good at living into his name. He had been really good at fighting for himself. He was a survivor. Then we get to our chapter today, Genesis 32. Now, the first 21 verses, which we don't read, we get to see that Jacob was on his way home. It had been over two decades since he had been home. He had had to flee because Esau was mad at him. Okay? So he's on his way home, and he hears that Esau is coming out to meet him. He hears that Esau has 400 men, and all of a sudden, Jacob's not feeling quite as confident in his trickery. He's not feeling quite as confident with his odds. In fact, he's afraid. He's afraid for his life, for his wives' lives, for his kids' lives. We get to see him pray out to God in Genesis 32, verse 11. It says this. 
He says, O Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and my children. See, all along, Jacob had been doing okay by himself, fighting for himself, wrestling for himself, doing everything he could to come out ahead, and he'd been winning. But now he's sitting there in that moment realizing, I may not have the upper hand right now. If it was just my brother, maybe, but he's got 400 men. So he cries out to God, God, won't you save me? Preserve my life. And then we get to our text, verse 22 to 26. It says, during the night, Jacob got up. He took his two wives and his other, his other wives, his servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the river with them. After taking them all over, he sent over his possessions. Now this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and he wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now here's where this gets kind of fun. And here's where we might start having a new understanding of our long-term understanding of what this text is all about. We know that there's a wrestling match going on. And it's a pretty intense wrestling match. Because the man that Jacob is wrestling is strong. Very strong. But Jacob is also strong. You go back to Genesis 29 and you see that there's a stone covering a well that Rachel is waiting to have the, the moved so that her sheep can get watered. And normally when that stone is moved, it takes multiple shepherds. You see that it's, it's plural in the text in Genesis 29. But it says that Jacob moved it himself. So this is a strong guy. So this is muscle versus muscle. I mean, this, this wasn't the type of wrestling matches we think about where there's a circle on a mat and there's a referee and you do three three-minute periods. It's not like that. It wasn't WWE either where they're jumping off of ropes and dropping elbows and throwing fake punches. No, it wasn't even your typical seventh-grade junior high PE wrestling tournament, which, by the way, I won that, that tournament. <laughs> it's the last time I ever wrestled. Yeah. Wrestling is hard. If you haven't done it, don't. It's difficult. Here we get a couple of guys all night, brute strength against brute strength wrestling match. And verse 25 says, the man saw that he would not win, so he knocked Jacob's hip. He knocked it right out of socket. I don't know if they had laid out ground rules before the wrestling match started, so do you know what I see right there? I see the man winning. I see the man winning, and I see Jacob realizing that too. You know how I see that? Because of what he says in verse 26. He says this, The man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I won't let you go unless you bless me. Listen, in that culture, a subordinate did not bless somebody. A blessing did not come from somebody who had been beat. A blessing came from the head of household, somebody who was superior, somebody who was in charge. The blessing was only given by the person who had won. So Jacob, by saying, hey, sir, give me a blessing, what he's saying is, I recognize you're superior to me. We have just spent all night wrestling. And yes, it was hard, but there's something more about you than there is about me. Jacob is, wrestling, is realizing for the first time in his life that he didn't win. I will not let you go unless you bless me. You win. I'm tapping out. 
Interesting take, isn't it? Now it gets even better. Okay? Verse 27. I think it's up on the screen. The man says, what is your name? He asked. And Jacob replied, Jacob. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Now, if this man that had been wrestling with Jacob all night was God, which I believe he was, I don't think God would have forgotten who he was wrestling. I don't think he would have all of a sudden just been so exhausted that he's like, oh, tell me again who you are. I mean, these guys were like all out all night, and and it's God. So God knew who this was. So it's not like this man was saying, who are you? Because he, he forgot He was saying, who are you? He was saying, tell me who you are, because he was wanting to give Jacob a chance to admit who he was. God said, what is your name? So that Jacob could admit who he was. It wasn't just, well, you could call me Jacob. It was, this is what I am. That's what the name meant. I am Jacob, deceiver, supplanter, heel grabber. Now, one commentator writes this. He says, in disclosing his name, Jacob is doing more than just sharing information. He's making a confession about the appropriateness of his name. Only now would Jacob agree with Esau that Jacob is the perfect name for him. Esau had said, wow, your name really fits. Genesis 27, verse 36. Esau exclaimed, this is after Jacob stole his blessing or his birthright. He says, no wonder your name is Jacob. For now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as a firstborn, and now he's stolen my blessing. The guy asked Jacob, what's your name? So that Jacob could admit, this is who I am. Jacob's making a confession there. His life has been surrounded by trickery. This could have been God's final way of saying, look, admit who you are so that you are ready for a new name. Admit who you've been so that we can take steps forward from here on out. When God changes a name, he does so so that he can show you the reality of what he sees. So that he can show you the reality of what he knows. Verse 28. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, Israel. Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Your new name, sir, is Israel. Israel. Now, I told you earlier there's a lot of places of debate in this text. And one of those places is what the name Israel actually means. I grew up being taught that the name means wrestled with God. You guys guys grew up being taught the same thing, right? Somebody who struggles with God. A good scholar can make a good case for this to be the case, but a good scholar can also make a case for it to mean something else. I first got this notion as I was reading through uh, this text, and I saw after the name Israel an asterisk. You guys have seen those in your Bibles, right? Okay, if you don't know what it's for, you look on the fine print. It helps explain a little word, what, what it means, or something that may be confusing. So in this Bible, when it has an asterisk after Israel, I went down to look at what that name meant. And it says the name Israel means God fights. That's different than 
he wrestles with God. Now, because I had grown up being taught that, I thought, well, maybe it's just this translation. So I went to another translation, the English Standard Version. I looked, and there's an asterisk there, and same, same thing. Actually, it said this could mean two different things. This word could mean he strives with God, which is what we've been taught growing up, or God strives. So God fights, or God strives. Now, when you look at the original Hebrew, very rightly and very accurately, this word, Israel, El means God, could be translated as El will rule, or let El rule. Let God rule. God will rule. Now, I know this is messing with decades of the way we understood this name to mean, but let's go with this for a little bit. Because if we do, if instead of saying he wrestles with God, we translate this as God strives, God fights, God will rule, then that changes things. He wrestles with God, puts everything on Jacob's plate. This is what Jacob did. But God fights, God strives, puts it on God's plate. And it talks about what God did, what God will do, what God is in the process of doing. You see the difference? It's subtle, but it's huge. One is Jacob's role, one is God's role. God says, I'm changing your name to mean Israel. God will fight. Now, let's add a little bit of weight to this argument. Okay? Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. This is a different translation. A comma makes all the difference in the world. English teachers, right? A comma makes all the difference in the world. Verse 28. Then he said, this is the man talking to Jacob, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, comma, and have prevailed. Most of our English translations put the comma after with men. But if you go back into the original Hebrew, you'll find that there may or may not have even been a comma. And if there was, it could be there or it could be somewhere else. Other translations, if you go directly to the Hebrew, it goes like this. For you have striven with God and with men have prevailed. You hear the difference? That's a big difference. And if we're taking the name Israel to mean not Jacob wrestles with God, but God strives, God fights, God will rule, then the placement of this comma makes more sense. You have striven with God, and with men you have prevailed. The guy that wrestled with him is saying, look, you have been fighting with men your entire life. Your brother, you won. Your, your dad, you won. Your uncle, you won. Tonight you have striven with God. With men you have prevailed, but... Tonight, not so much. It's as if the man is saying, look, we're going to see things differently. From this day on, you may have striven with men and won, but from this day on, God will strive for you. God will fight for you. It's time for you to stop striving. Jacob started out that night alone, in the dark, by himself. He came out that night with a new name and a new limp. Okay? One commentator said that new name reminds him constantly of his new destiny. That new limp reminded him from that day forward that in Elohim, he met somebody who he could not beat, who he could not trick, who could overpower him. 
God strives. God fights. Let God rule. Your new name is Israel. If we understand the why behind the name change, it makes way more sense. God is showing Jacob, God is telling Jacob, this is your new reality. This is what I see. And God doesn't just rename him. He goes on to prove it. Three or four times in the immediate chapters right after. We'll we'll go pretty quick. The next day, when daylight hits, we see this. Genesis 33, verse 1. It says, Jacob looked up and he saw, he saw Esau coming with 400 men. Okay, remember, that's what Jacob was terrified about. He had heard Jacob was coming. He's about to get his backside kicked. And he's scared. So he wakes up. He sees this. What happens? We know the story. Esau comes, completely wipes out Jacob, all his family, and he rules the rest of the story of the Bible, right? No. No, God must have been doing something in Esau. Whether it was on that last day or whether it was the years leading up to it, God had been striving with Esau to change his feelings with Jacob. Esau doesn't come to retaliate and conquer. He comes to make peace. Jacob looks at him and he says in verse 33, he says, what a relief to see your friendly smile. It's like seeing the face of God. He kind of knew that in a a new way because of the night before. The struggle with with Esau, God had fixed. God had solved. I wonder if that day when Esau went one way and Jacob slowly kept going the other way, if Jacob thought to himself, huh, I didn't have to fight that one. Maybe there's something about this name. Very next chapter, chapter 34, we get to read a terrible occurrence. Jacob's daughter Dinah is violated. Okay? She is violated. That's, that's the, the safe way to say it in here. Okay? Jacob does not do too much. In fact, he really doesn't do anything. Instead, Dinah's two full brothers go and they retaliate. They end up killing every man in the town of, in the town of Shechem. Every man they kill. Okay? And then the rest of the brothers come in from the field and they finish the job. They steal the wives and the kids that's left in the town. They loot the houses. They take the money. Jacob didn't do anything. Now, was that because he was letting God rule, letting God reign? Or was that because he was reverting back into his old self? Might be a little bit of both. When the two sons came back in Genesis 34, verse 30, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, he says, you've ruined me. You've made me stink among all the people of this land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. Now, it could be, even though he's realizing I've got a new name, that he's still learning what that new name means. Because it sounds like he's a little bit scared. Well, watch what God does. God meets with Jacob in Genesis 35.1. He tells Jacob, it's time to go. Time to go back to Bethel. You're on your way there. That's home. Get going. But on your way, watch what Jacob does. Genesis 35, 2 and 3. Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all of your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We're now going to go to Bethel while I will build an altar to the God who answers my prayers when I was in distress. He has gone with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings, and he buried them under the great tree near Shechem. The sons go. They murder an entire city worth of men. The wives and children are stolen. The surrounding regions, Jacob is is rightly afraid that they're going to retaliate against him. But what does God do? God fights. God strives. God rules. Look at verse 4 and 5 of chapter 35. 
So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings, and he buried them under the great tree near Shechem. And as they set out, a great terror from God spread over the people in all the towns of that area so that no one attacked Jacob's family. God strives. God fights. Jacob arrives at Bethel. He builds an altar. He has finally made it home, but there's one more thing that God needs to take care of. Verse 8 of chapter 35. It says, Soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley of Bethel. Now ever since then, the tree has been called Alan Bakuth, which means oak of weeping. Now this is a verse that so often is brushed over and rushed over. Because we get to see Jacob, he's got home and he made this altar. And then the next verse after that, there's something about God talking with him. But this verse right here actually is pretty impressive also, pretty powerful. It can be safely assumed, safely assumed that after all those years away from home, Jacob's mom had already passed away. Rebecca had already died. Deborah, her nurse, the person who had cared for her, was the last connection that Jacob may have had with his mom. So when Jacob saw Deborah, he remembered his mom. He thought of his mom. He reflected on the things his mom had encouraged him to do. Do you remember one of those things that mom had encouraged him to do? Lie, cheat, steal. Right? So when Deborah dies, this is the last strand of the rope that is tying Jacob's, Jacob's old Jacobness to his past. This is the last tie of the rope, securing old Jacob to his mom's memory. Now, this was hard. Deborah died. It's painful. Weeping was involved. But right after, we see God saying, okay, now we're ready. And we see this. Genesis chapter 35, verse 9 and 10. Now that Jacob had returned from Padah Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Now, this is less of a renaming and more of a reminding. Because this said, God had already renamed him. He had already told him, Your name is Israel. But it's interesting because this is the first word that God spoke to him since he got back to Bethel. The very first thing God does is is say, let me remind you of something. You're no longer who you were. You are now this new person. Bury your old pagan idols. Bury your old understanding of who you are. You are now Israel. When God changes the name, he does so to show a new reality. He does so to show what he sees, what he knows to be true. Jacob, you're no longer a deceiver and a supplanter. From now on, you'll stop fighting because God will fight. God will rule. It's interesting because God knew Jacob's story. God knew his history, his choices, what had made him him. He knew what his name had meant and how good Jacob had lived into that name. But God still chose him. God still said, I want to give you a new name because I have a new plan for you. And it starts today. So what do we do with this? What do we as First Church do with this? We've been saying all along that Jacob's story is our story. 
So what if God wants to change our name? What if God wants to give us a fresh start as a church, as individuals? Now, I'm not saying that what your parents signed on the birth certificate needs to change, but there are times when, when we have been calling ourselves certain names, internal voices, or maybe we've been hearing other names that other people have been calling us that maybe God needs to say today, uh-uh, no more. Let me tell you this new name. It could be that for your own faith story, for years and years and years, you have been calling yourself the doubter. I just question everything. Call me doubtful, Lord. But today God is saying, no, no more. Today you are called confident. Today you are called assured. It could be that you know your own story. You know the the choices you made, the wrongs you made growing up, and, and you've always seen yourself as broken. But today maybe God needs to say to you, no. You're new. It could be that some of the names you have called yourself or have been called of you, names like worthless, incomplete, lost, shamed, unlovable, unfixable, damaged goods, guilty, forgotten. It could be that today God wants you to hear something different. He may want to say to you, no, no more. From now on, you are called priceless complete, prized, found, cherished, loved, renewed, whole, forgiven, remembered. Does God need to change your name this morning? Have you come in calling yourself one thing and he wants you to leave hearing something different? Now, if that's the case, we need to give them the time and the space to do that. So it's not a hypothetical question. We're going to give some time to reflect. I'm going to ask Tim to come up and strum just a little bit. We're going to throw a couple of questions up on the screen, and we want to give God the time to speak to you if he wants. You know, we started off this morning saying that God will speak to everybody at some point over two or three years. If today is that day, we want to give some space and time for him to speak. So we're going to throw some questions up on the screen. Those questions are this. What name have you been calling yourself? And what names have you been called? And then what name does God want to change it to this morning? We're going to sit with this for just a few minutes. Give God the space to talk.
God, what is it you want us to hear this morning? What is it you want us to know that you are saying of us? What is the new reality that we need to see, that we need to understand? Father, even if there's just one person in here that has heard a new name this morning, it is worth it. I thank you, Father, that you see us through Christ. You see us as redeemed. You see us as spotless. You see us as pure and holy. God, would you help us to whatever degree we can understand how you see us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, speaking of name changes, this morning I'd like to invite up the Blackburn family. As they are coming, and all the people who are coming with them, I want to encourage you guys, if you sensed God giving you a new name, don't forget that name, okay? Write it down somewhere. That could be an initial glimpse of a name that Jesus talked about in Revelation. Revelation 2.17, Jesus said, I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. So if God's giving you a new name today, that might be a glimpse into the, the future name that he's going to call you. Hey, you can see we've got a few, uh, a few people in here, which is just fantastic. Jason, you got a microphone? Um, this is fun. We've been talking about name changes this morning, and it just, uh, we actually didn't plan it this way. Um, this, God knew from when time began that, um, that this was going to be the day that this was going to happen. So, um, before we even start, Throughout the story of Jacob, uh, throughout Scripture, anytime there's a holy moment, oftentimes there's an anointing with oil, okay? Whether it's an altar or whether it's a person. So we're going to start off before any sort of explanation, just anointing. Is that okay? No. What if we look back? I'll show I'll do your mom first, okay? Watch this. All right, little girl, we anoint you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May this be a holy moment today. All right, well, they're obviously standing up here for a reason. Um, They're up here to dedicate the newest official member of their family. And Doug, uh, we're going to put you on the spot. We're going to have you introduce everybody by by middle name uh, of who's here. (laughs) And if you change their names, it just fits with the entire morning. Excellent. Well, I'll come over here first. Um, this is our Aunt Becky. This is Uncle Sam, and they came in from Colorado. Really blessed to have them here. Um, this is my mother-in-law, Karen. Um, this is my mom, Sandy, right here. Um, you, know, you know this clan right here. Uh, this is my father-in-law, Harold. And you know this clan as well, but we're just going to go with this, Malia. Uh, my niece, this is my niece, Kylie. My nephew, Silas. And then my sister-in-law, Heidi, and my brother-in-law, John. So. Nice job. Well done. That is often the hardest part of the dedication. Um, you got to hear last week a little bit of Doug and Heather's story. Uh, just a quick reminder, uh, they've got two kids of their own. Uh, we've got Bailey and we've got Sawyer. And they felt God calling them to the foster adopt uh, system, that, that program. And uh, they went through the process. They got approved. It took a little longer to, for them to get a child that, than they thought. But God had a plan all along, and roughly six months, two days, roughly, unless it was six months, eight days, I did my math wrong, this little girl came into their life, and she came into their life as Eternity Nova. That was her name. 
Okay? Now, we obviously didn't know much about her story before she came to us. Doug and Heather didn't know much about her story either. They got to figure out what was written about her. They read her case file. They read some of the things that would have made a lot of parents scared. Like, well, I, I don't know if, if we want to go that route. They, they thought long-term, some implications for, for family and all of that. But in all of that, in all of that, and you need to hear this, little one, they still chose you. Yes, they did. You weren't given a list of possible parents for you to pick out. No, they chose you. And as I thought about that this past week, I thought that's just like Jesus talks about in John 15, 16. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And you can spend the rest of your life knowing that your parents chose you. Now, what fits so well with this morning is Doug and Heather have officially changed her name, right? They have officially changed her name from Eternity Nova to Everly Eternity. Got a good ring. Somebody say, oh, that's good. That's good. Everly Eternity. Now, I asked them, why? Why change the name? And much like Jacob's story where there was a fresh start, that's really what they wanted. She, she, comes, with, uh, she comes with her own story, but her story begins again with Doug and Heather, with Sawyer and Bailey. Where'd she go? Here she is. Yeah, her story begins again. So that is why they wanted to change her name. Now, we could, we could make up something really, really cool and profound about the name Everly. We could say, well, Doug and Heather, they, they knew that this was Everly's forever home, so they wanted Everly to be in there. We could say that, but in all reality, they wanted an E name, and they liked Everly. <laughs> so it works. It works, okay? Everly Eternity. Your mommy and daddy chose you. But what's really, really cool is that before they chose you, God chose you. He chose you, and he actually has already made some promises for you, some promises that your grandma has already been praying over you. Those, uh, those uh, promises in, in a verse on Isaiah, Isaiah 46, verse 4. Uh, this is the verse that Karen, right, has been praying over Everly. God says, I will be your God through all your lifetime. I made you, and I will care for you. I will carry you along, and I will be your Savior. That is cool, knowing that that's what God says about you, isn't it? She says, there's people out there. I'm so glad you're not holding me and walking around like you do with all the other people. Well, we know the story. Okay, Doug and Heather met her first day, fell in love with her family, met her first day, second day, fell in love with her. We as a church met her, fell in love with her. God is already passionately in love with her. So today we are going to dedicate her officially to the Lord. I want to start by asking Doug and Heather some traditional questions. And uh, you guys listen for the do or the will, and you'll know how to answer, okay? Do you, in the presence of God and this family, solemnly dedicate Everly to the Lord? There you go. Will you endeavor to live a life before Everly that gives witness to your faith in Jesus Christ? You will. Good. As, a, as parents, will you continue to commit to learning to raise three children through seeking God's counsel through prayer and study and through the community of faith that God has blessed you, put you in? We will. That was a mouthful. We will. Yes, you will. And will you share with us the joys and challenges of raising Everly? You will. Very good. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to invite everybody to stand. 
And I want to invite their small group, who's also been a very active part in their life. I want you guys to go ahead and come on up here also. What you guys need to see and what you need to hear, uh, Doug and Heather wanted me to definitely make sure that for family, for friends, for church family, for those who have walked this journey with them, thank you. Guys, they could not have done this without you. Thank you for opening your hearts and for walking through a lot of the unknowns with them. Now, I asked Doug and Heather some questions. Sawyer and Bailey, can I ask you guys a couple questions? Yeah, okay, okay, come here. I want to ask you something, okay? Do you guys promise to be the best brother and sister you possibly can to Everly? Do you promise that? Do you promise to love Everly? Yes. Yes. Perfect. Give me five. We've covered the entire family. Let's uh, let's pray. Where'd she go? There she is. She's right there. Let's let's pray an official prayer dedication for Everly. Lord Jesus, just like your parents brought you into the temple to dedicate you, uh, we bring in Everly Eternity Blackburn to dedicate her to you. And we give thanks to you, Lord. We give thanks that you chose Doug and Heather and Bailey and Sawyer to be a new family for her. We thank you for the safety in her life before that. We thank you for the story that she has before that. And we thank you for the story that is being written from this day forward. God, for Doug and Heather, we pray for patience. We pray for grace. We pray for forgiveness, for mercy, for guidance, for wisdom. We pray that your love through them would be passed on to Everly. We pray that in Everly's dedication, may this be a renewal of Doug and Heather's dedication to you as well. And God, for Everly, we thank you so much for the life you have given her. We thank you, as Isaiah 46 says, for promising to be her God throughout her lifetime. We thank you for making her, for promising to care for her, for carrying her through all of life's trials, which will come. And we thank you for being her Savior. God, we ask that at an early age, she would come to both a living and saving knowledge of what you have done for her. God, it is our pleasure, it is our our honor, it is our privilege to bring her before you and officially say she is your daughter. She's a daughter of the King, and as such, we dedicate her in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for letting this family, this nuclear family, this extended family, this church family, play a role in this little girl's life. May we do well with what you have given us the opportunity to do in and through her. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give this family a round of applause. Well, don't sit down. We're going to continue worship. One more song this morning. I have a maker. He forms my heart Before even time began My life was in His hand He knows my name He knows my every thought he sees each tear that falls and hears me when I come. I have a father. He comes. 
fantastic song to finish with. The fact that God knows our name. Not just that we're one of seven billion, but that he knows our name and everything that is about us. And he loves us and he wants to walk with us all the days of our lives. That is powerful. That is powerful. So the Formation Hour class is going to start in about 15 minutes in here. Uh, Go on out, get some snacks, celebrate with the entire extended Blackburn family. And this week as you go, if God's given you a new name or if he's just called you the name, he's called you from day one. May he bless you and protect you in that. May he smile upon you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace so that his name would be known on all the earth. Amen and amen.